The Sanctuary, a community of Jesus people promoting the glory of God in all things to all nations through gospel-centered missional living. Whether it be working with groups in Africa to build orphanages and help rid the continent of AIDS, or feeding the hungry, giving to the oppressed, and helping the hurting who live in our own community, The Sanctuary invites you to be part of a culture of passionate service. You can change your world. Be inspired. Join the movement. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians. We're going to continue our walk through 2 Corinthians. Um, and uh, as we're doing this, I just want to remind you a couple of things. This is our Easter season. We're in the Easter season right now. And uh, coming uh, Good Friday, uh, we'll have our, our Seder meal. It's a Passover meal. Um, Passover. Easter is... Uh, the New Testament celebration of, is, of Easter and Christian celebration of Easter is directly tied into Passover. And so many of us lose kind of the, the nuances and the depth of symbolism that's in even the Lord's Supper um, because we really don't understand a lot of the Passover celebration. So uh, we're going to try to help you connect some dots uh, this year and have a, a state of Passover meal. It's, an, it's a full meal. So you'll come here that evening and we'll, have, we'll share a full meal together. Uh, there'll be someone here going through the Jewish Haggadah with us, helping us to see how the, the a Jewish family would celebrate a Passover meal. And then directly drawing your attention to Christ through the entire thing. So I really think that even in the future, it's going to help you um, understand and celebrate Easter better. Um, so you can sign up for that. Sign up for that online. Um, also, baptisms. I can't tell you how many conversations of probably in the last month I've had from people who are interested in baptism. And if you want to be baptized, we'll baptize on Easter Sunday, uh, which is just a fantastic way to celebrate Easter. Um, and we'd love to have you with us and to be baptized if you want to. We need to meet with you ahead of time. Uh, so if you could contact us and let us know, we'll get with you and talk through the details and uh, make, you, make sure you understand what we are talking about when we talk about and do baptism. So we'd love to have that experience with you. So let us know. Second uh, Corinthians will be in chapter 10. If you've got your scriptures, you can go there. We'll have it on the, the screen. There are Bibles everywhere for you if you need one. Paul is continuing to talk to us, and we've been doing this for a couple of months now, so uh, I don't have time to recap everything, but Paul is just going to continue to explain to us, he's going to continue to help us understand what it looks like to live into two verses. I do think there are two verses in 2 Corinthians that everything pivots around, everything kind of hinges on these two verses. It's 2 Corinthians 5.17 and 6.1. We're new creations, everything's passed away, we've been made new, and don't receive the gospel and and the grace of God in vain. That God is redeeming us, changing us, radically remaking us in every way possible, and then Paul's like, that's awesome, And, and then he says, but don't receive that in vain. Don't receive that in an empty way, in a way that doesn't change your life, that doesn't influence choices and things like that. So that's kind of what he's trying to help us understand. What does it look like to kind of live into the fullness of what God's doing in our lives, what the Holy Spirit's already working into us? So he's saying, don't receive the grace of God in vain. Then he says right after that, he talks about um, cleansing yourselves, uh, perfecting our holiness. He talked about what that looks like in our relationships with other believers, that as we receive the grace of God, it's supposed to impact our relationship with other professing uh, people that are walking with Jesus Christians, you know. Um, It's supposed to change that. Um, And then our relationships with lost people. 
It's supposed to, it's, it's supposed to change how we uh, live with and interact with people uh, who do not follow Christ. Um, then it talks about, last week we talked about how you manage your stuff and giving and, and that the fact that you've received God's grace is supposed to change the way that you take care of and use and, and give away the things that you own. So those are the things that he's already talked about. Today he's going to start to dig into this, this part of our lives. And it's, it's questions like this. He, he begins to kind of get into who are you going to believe about you? When, who are you listening to and they're defining how you see you? So who will you believe about you? What will you believe about you? So there's people, influences that are speaking into you. Then you're making some kind of decision like, well, who am I? What am I supposed to be like? Who am I now and who do I want to be and where's the gap and how do I begin to work on that gap to be the person I'd like to be? So who will you believe about you? What will you believe about you? Who will you believe about them? Because you're telling yourself right now things about people you're sitting beside or maybe somebody that's not here today. So who do you think they really are? Are they believers, brothers and sisters in Christ? Because if they are, God's doing something in them. He's changing them. He's redeeming them. And that should change how we interact with them and how we speak to them and what we tell them about them, right? So who will you believe about others? And then what will you believe about God? Who he is, what he's doing, his power, etc. So those are the things he's going to kind of dig into today as he's reminding us God's changing you, the Holy Spirit is working in you, don't receive that in vain. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. So he's going to continue to go down that, that line today. So we're going to kind of ask this question, what are some things that could keep us from living in this all-changing power of the gospel? If the gospel wants to get into every nook and cranny of my life, what are some things that can keep that from happening? All right? So those are the questions we're going to kind of dig into. So chapter 10, if you want to look in, in your, uh, your Bibles, we'll have it on the screen. Chapter 10, he kind of gets into this. He dives head in. Now he says, now, I, Paul, myself urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but been bold toward you when I'm absent. I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but are of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. So what are what are some of the things that can keep us from living into just this all-changing power of God that he wants to kind of unleash in our lives in some ways, to live in the fullness of that. First thing Paul says is ideas, thoughts, arguments, philosophies that contradict the gospel in two different ways. They contradict the gospel in the content of the gospel. So there is a message about the good news of Jesus, and I can have ideas and thoughts and arguments and philosophies in my head that argue against that. So that's one thing. And then also the second thing, he says, we're, gonna, we're, we're, we're dealing with ideas that set themselves up against the ongoing power of the gospel. So some of us are in the first category. Right now in this room, you're here, you've been in church a bajillion times, you know, you've heard the story a bajillion times and sung all the songs and been to the camp and got the t-shirt and all that stuff. But you have all these arguments in your head about who God is. 
and who he's not, and who he, if he's approachable, if he's knowable, if he's even there, does he even care? This Jesus stuff and Holy Spirit, don't even get me started on the Holy Spirit. That's super creepy, you know? And you have all these things going on in your head that argue against the gospel. That will most definitely keep you from living in the full power of what God wants to do in your life. Then there's another group of us in here. We trusted in Christ. We know when we die, we're where we're going to go. But yesterday, when our anger popped up for the five millionth time in the last week, nothing seemed to stand in its way. And when lust knocked on the door Thursday morning, nothing seemed to bar it from coming in full force. We have arguments, philosophies, and ideas that are contradicting the power, the ongoing power of the gospel in our lives every day. So Paul wants to dig into what's going on in our minds. The ideas and the thoughts that we're not just entertaining, that we're holding on to, that can lead us into sin and unbelief, and it can hinder repentance and obedience to God. So what are some of those things? What are some of these ideas that we can have in our heads that argue against the gospel? First of all, faith in faith. That you have enough faith, and if I have enough faith in my faith, God's going to do something. But if my faith falters just a little bit, if I go through a season of dryness or a season of struggle, I have somehow neutered God's power in my life. Faith in faith. That will keep you from really walking in the full power of of what God wants to do in your life. Another one. the, uh, The denial of the lingering power and effects of sin. Because I am a Christian, because I know what's going to happen to me when I die, because I've, I've uh, experienced some freedom and power over some sins in my life, I'm good. I'm okay. I don't really don't have anything left to work on. I'm kind of a finished product. I don't know what I'm going to do for the next 30 years, you know, kind of a thing, right? So denying the lingering effects of sin the, the muscle memory of sin in your soul and in your, in your spirit that's still there. You can deny that and not really fully experience the promises of the power of God. Another one, another argument that can keep me from experiencing and living in the full power of the gospel. I can confuse proximity for holiness. Because I'm around good people, because I'm around godly things, because I go to church on a regular basis, I am by osmosis holy. I rubbed up against that pole, and somehow there's holiness on that pole. There, I'm holy. I touched somebody in this room this morning. Somebody spoke to me, shook my hand, who is walking with Christ closely. Therefore, I'm holy. I've grown up in church. Somehow or another, that has made me holy. Proximity does not equal holiness. And if I think that it does, I'll never live into the fullness of the power of the gospel. Another thing that can keep me is that religion equals holiness. I follow the rules. I have a quiet time every day. I pray before every meal. I do the rosary. I cross myself. I kneel. I I sing worship songs in the car. I try to keep the Ten Commandments. I'm a religious person. Therefore, I am by default, because I do good things, I'm different. Religion does not equal holiness. Another one, good works equals worthiness. Now, I'm saved. I'm trusting in Christ to save me. I know I don't have to earn my way to heaven, but I do have to earn his daily love. At the end of the day, I have to earn him patting me on the head saying, good job, Joe. I I still like you today. So I'm not worried about where I'm going to go when I die, but I am worried that today God may not like me very much. 
and my good works will somehow make me worthy of his love in my life. That'll keep you far away from walking in the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel power that God wants to put into your life. So those are just some of the ideas, some of the thoughts that we can carry around, some of the arguments against the gospel that can keep us from living in the power that God has in our lives, the all-changing power in our lives. Because here's the reality, right? The true reality is, is that the Bible says that God is seeking someone that he can support. Did you know that? That God says, my eyes are roaming the earth for someone that I can throw my support on. For somebody that I can throw the weight of my power on. I am looking for someone who I can do that with. That's the reality. God's not playing hide and seek with you. He is actively looking for people that he can pour himself out on. That's the truth and the reality of it. God is patiently waiting for us to come to him in repentance. God gives generously to those who ask. God wants fellowship with us. God is enlightening our minds and renewing our hearts. Those are the truths that will allow us to walk into the fullness of the power of the gospel. I don't want you to over-spiritualize this this section. This is one of those texts that we like to take out of context and just throw it around, right? I can do all things through Christ and strengthens me. That's one of them. This might be one of the other ones, right? That, That we have these spiritual weapons and we go to battle and spiritual warfare. You can't just take this text, those four verses out of this, this uh, chapter and make it mean anything you want it to mean. It's in this text for a reason. Uh, Paul and the Holy Spirit put it in this, ver- I mean, in this chapter and in this book for a reason. So don't over-spiritualize this is probably what I would say. There are principles here that can apply in other ways, and I'm not going to argue with those things. I'm just saying they're not the primary applications of this text. Overall, I think there's another way for us to read this, and that is that we can deny the power of God, and we can deny the changing power of the gospel and its daily effects on our lives if we don't conform our minds to the scriptures and to the gospel. That is receiving the grace of God in vain. I hear the good news about Jesus, but daily I don't go, how am I thinking in a way that keeps me from walking in the power of God? What am I still believing and holding on to that keeps me from experiencing the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit? That's how we receive the grace of God in vain. Does that make sense? Right? The daily vanity of not living in the power that God has for us. So he talks about these ideas, these arguments, and sometimes they get burned into our minds. We, we say these things to ourselves so many times. They just get kind of etched in the creases of our little brains, you know? And they get kind of burned in there. And they begin to lead us to these places of hopelessness and faithlessness. So scripture would use the language uh, in other passages. We'll talk about a stronghold. And I'm going to quickly talk on briefly that right now in this text. And I would say this. A stronghold is a mindset that gets mixed together, integrated with hopelessness. That causes us to accept as unchangeable something that we know is contrary to God's will. Now, that's a huge statement I just said. I want to read it again, okay? I wish I said it. A, dude, a, co- a much smarter person said this. It doesn't take much, but he's a lot smarter than me. Stronghold is a mindset impregnated with hope- hopelessness that causes us to accept as unchangeable something that we know is contrary to God's will. That's a huge statement. This is what Paul's talking about here. Strongholds are these negative patterns of thought 
that begin to cripple our ability to obey God, and then they breed feelings of guilt and despair in us. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves. What does that look like? First of all, fill your mind with God's word. Fill your mind with God's word. I am the worst at memorizing scripture. I'm, I'm awful at it. I'm kind of like Paul. I'm glad Paul has this text in the New Testament. He says, somewhere somebody said, and then he kind of gives a sloppy quote. I'm, I'm awesome with that, right? Somewhere in scripture, I think it says, well, you know, and these, these ideas get rooted in my heart and in my mind. So whatever that looks like for you, if you're a good memorizer, memorize. At the very least, saturate yourself. Let the word just get in, right? Give it an open door into your heart, into your mind. So that means you've got to spend time in it. Pick a version that's easy for you to read and get into it, okay? So fill your mind with God's word. It is the most powerful thing with the power of the Holy Spirit to do battle with these ideas that keep you from living in the fullness of God's power. Second thing, remember who you are in Christ. You've got to remind yourself who you are. I'm the child of God. I'm redeemed. I'm not, a, a, I'm not a slave to fear anymore, right? I've been set free from those things. You've got to remind yourself who you are over and over, the righteousness of Christ, a co-heir with Jesus. You've got to tell yourself, that's because it's true. And we have to remind ourselves of those things. Third thing, think on holy, good things. Think on holy, good things. So just a little thought challenge. If you can think back to just yesterday, how much time yesterday did you spend thinking about holy, good things? We thought about March Madness, right? Basketball, how these little Wofford, how do they make it to the second round? When we think about stuff like that. Think about all the stuff we have to do. We get into our leisure time and we start to fill our minds with stuff that we shouldn't fill our minds with. And we wonder why we struggle with what's going on in our heads because we're not consistently just taking time to retrain our brains to think about what is holy and good. What is holy and good? Fill your minds with those things. Fourth thing, challenge every one of these thoughts that come to you as quickly as possible with Scripture. As quickly as one of these thoughts rears its little ugly head, you want to pop it in the face with some Scripture, man. Your brain is no more powerful than God's Word. You ever thought about that? Seems like our thoughts just run amok. They're just doing their own thing right? Speculations, wonders, fears, worries. We feel like we can't get it under control. Is your brain more powerful than the scripture of God? The scripture of God is a fiery sword able to discern the hearts and the thoughts of men. Your brain can't even comprehend how to flip a light switch on. How does that work? Ideas to destroy. Here's some things that you need to do battle with. God isn't there. God is not there for me. God isn't able to do what I need him to do in my life. Can I just tell you, believer, that's called practical atheism. Well, no, I believe in God, but you don't believe God's there for you. Well, I believe in God, but you don't believe God's powerful. Well, I believe in God, but I don't think he can do anything in my life. That's a practical atheism. Do battle with those things. Second thing, this is as good as it gets. My life isn't going to get any better. This is it. This is the pinnacle. Might as well just enjoy it. Next thing, I can change this by myself. I can work harder. I can do more. That's self-reliance. That's self-righteousness. And it's empty and it's depressing because you fail all the time. 
do battle with those thoughts. Fight them with scripture. Fill your mind with holy things. Take these thoughts captive. What are our weapons? He says we have these weapons that are amazing and powerful. What are these things? You got to keep them in context, okay? Because he's talking about destroying the way people think. Demolish spiritual, uh, uh, sinful thought patterns. Mental systems that we have in our brains that keep us in powerlessness. So what are the weapons that we have to throw against that? Our enemy is spiritual, okay? My biggest problem isn't what I do. My biggest problem isn't what I think. My biggest problem is that my spirit is still being redeemed and perfected and made holy in every possible way. And I'm experiencing that every day. So as my battle is spiritual, my weapons are spiritual, okay? So what does that look like? I got to speak generally because I think local application is different and I, I can't get into the specifics for you, but it's things like this. Truth. Some of us just don't have enough truth in our lives. We're not availing ourselves to enough truth. We have people in our lives that agree with us or they're afraid of us so they don't tell us truth or we're not giving ourselves to scriptural truth or Jesus tell me truth kind of thing. We need truth in our lives. Righteousness, faith, assurance of salvation, the word of God, prayer, praise. Praise is a weapon that we have. Do you know that? Scripture talks about our worship is actually part of the weapon that we would wield against these thoughts. Those are some of the weapons that we have at our disposal. So, man, I just want to kind of get into this right now and give you an opportunity to exercise some of that. What are, what are you, where are you at in all of this, right? Are you having some of these, these kinds of thoughts that we've talked about? Somewhere in your life where you're doubting God's ability to complete the good thing that he's begun. Man, he started it and that was great, but I don't think it's ever going to go anywhere. Are you doubting God's ability to complete what he's begun? Do you have a sickness physical illness or a loss or a pain that you think you'll never overcome and it's going to keep God from blessing you. God can't bless me because of that. He can't bring good things into my life because of that. Do you have an area in your life where you primarily make decisions from fear? Fear becomes the dictator and motivator of your decisions in some area of your life. Is there something about money or happiness or the future or relationships that doesn't begin and end with what the power of the gospel has promised you? These are the things we must do battle with. These are the thoughts we must take captive. So here's what you have to do. Right now, let let scripture examine your heart. So for those of you, and I see it on some of your faces, you have awful poker faces. And while I'm talking, you just see your countenance changes. So some of you know exactly what this is for you. Right now, don't do anything else. Just start to pray, Lord, what scripture can speak to me here? I need life in this area. I need power in this area. I need something to come into my life to speak against this because it is ruling me and it's crippling me and I don't feel the power of God in my life. I don't even know if it's there for me. Speak to me right now. You got, this is what you have to do. And get into scripture. Start to dig. Get your phone out. I don't care. And look for something. Look for truth. Ask the Spirit to apply the power of Scripture to your mind and your heart right now. I'm reading this. I I know this somewhere in my heart, but I need your Spirit to make this come alive in me. I need your Spirit to remind me of this truth because these lies are winning. Let Scripture examine you. Ask the power of the Spirit to apply that, that Scripture in power right now. Capture these thoughts and defeat them when they happen. When they come to you is when you hit them. Don't put it off. 
Stop. Have it on a card. Put it in your dashboard. Put it somewhere where you can see it. Write it on your mirror. Put it somewhere so you know when that thought comes, you're ready to go to battle. And you're ready to fight whatever it is that's lying to you right now and stealing the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel from you right now. Preach the gospel to yourself. So one of the things that keeps us from living into the all-powerful, all-changing power of the gospel are these things, these thoughts and arguments we carry around inside of us. Where do those things come from? Where do those thoughts come from? There's lots of sources, more than likely. Paul's going to talk about one particular place where those things come from. Look in chapter 10, verse 10. He talks about other people, uh, other teachers who have come in, and he says, they say his letters, Paul's letters, are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech is contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when absent, such persons we are also indeed when present. So just quickly, one of the places that these things come into our lives is through Maybe they're sincere. I'm not going to doubt their sincerity, but they're sincerely false teachers. They're bad teachers. That's one place where these things get into us. So Paul is effectively saying here, he's like, I get it. I'm not an impressive person. When you see me and when you read what I write to you, I'm not very impressive. I'm actually kind of offensive and I'm sloppy and I'm a little handicapped, probably physically. I'm not very attractive but I'm reliable, and I'm honest, and I'm true, and I'm, com- and I'm committed to God's word. So here's where we, in 21st century Western American Christianity, I want to ask you this question. What are you looking for in a speaker, a teacher, a pastor, or a mentor? What are you attracted to when you read their books, or when you see them on the television, or when you go to a church, or when you're just personally looking for someone to speak into you? It is far better for our trusted spiritual teachers to be truthful, genuine about life and about struggles and committed to the power of the Spirit through Scripture than it is for them to be impressive in their words or in their writings. And we have lost that. If you look good and you have a cool story and you're rich and you're healthy, I'll listen to you. You can speak into me. I've given you permission. And Paul says, listen, those are the worst people that you can listen to because they're basing their authority on your life on an unrealistic version of what Christianity is. So one of the places these things come into our minds is through false teachers. Chapter 10, verse 15, another hindrance comes to us. We see it here. So he says, I'm not boasting beyond our, our measure, that is, in other men's labors, but with the hope that as your faith grows we will be within our own sphere enlarged even more by you so as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you, not to boast in what we have accomplished in the sphere of another person. But he who boasts is to boast in the Lord, for it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. So another, another way that we can be hindered in walking in the power of the Spirit and what the all-changing power of the gospel is when we compare ourselves to other people. So, Paul gets forced sort of in this letter. These people are saying, hey, these other teachers are really amazing, Paul, and they're telling us you're not very good. And Paul's like, now, I, now you force me into this place where I have to compare myself to other people. And then, but he rises above it. And he says, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to compare myself to them. 
Because that would give you a false version of who I am and me a false version of who I am. So I'm not going to do that. So he's reluctantly, in a different way, trying to remind them about his good ministry, about who he really is. So this is where I want to get into me and you. What about you? Who and what are you comparing yourself to? And then why would we compare ourselves to anyone? Why do we get trapped in that? that hamster wheel of comparing ourselves to other people. Why do we do that? A couple of reasons, I think. To determine our success. To establish our success. To establish our credentials. To give ourselves value and worth. So let's do that in the gospel. What is the measure of your success? Are you leaving a legacy of changed lives and people who look like Jesus and love Jesus more? Paul says that in verses 15 and 16. He said, here's my, my legacy. Here's how I know my ministry is amazing. Because of you. Because I am leaving in you a group of people who know Jesus more and love him more. So I'm not going to compare myself to somebody else. I'm going to look at the fruits of my labor and my life and my ministry and point to that. So where's your success come from? Paul says, are you leaving a legacy of changed lives and people who love Jesus more? Second thing, what are your credentials? How, how are you even uh, qualified to do something like that? Paul says in verse 11, he says, I'm qualified to do this because Jesus changed me. That's it. He's working in me. He's changing my life. So my credentials aren't that I'm necessarily incredible and amazing. My credentials are God's changing me and he told me to give that to you. Third thing, what determines your value and worth? How do you know you're worth anything and have any value? The Lord determines that. What he has said about you. What has he said about you? You are, this is, you ready? This is what scripture says. This is what God says about his people. You're precious. You're his child. You're his co-laborer. You're his beloved. I love this one. It's three verses in the Old Testament. You are the apple of God's eye. You are his bride. He sings songs over you. He has tattooed your name on his hand. How does God feel about you? He doesn't look at you and then look at the person you're sitting next to and go, you're okay, but whoo, this one, amazing. Aren't you glad? He looks at you and he sings a song over you and he says, hey, I got your hand, man. I love you. Amen. Don't compare yourselves to other people. That can keep you from living in the power, the all-changing power of God as we look primarily to other people and compare ourselves to them. Verse 11, chapter 11, verse 1. He says, I wish that you would bear with me in just a little bit of foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me, for I am jealous for you. So he's like, man, I hope you put up with me in my craziness. And I know you are. You know why? Because I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray for the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. Another thing, another hindrance that can keep us from living in this power that God has for us is what I would say is an overly complicated religion. An overly complicated religion. Don't trade the simple value of the gospel for a complicated lifestyle of religion. So growing up, this is what this looked like. You, you can swim at camp, but you have to swim in two different pools. 
because girls have cooties or something. I would have never figured that one out. You can wear shorts, but only within six inches of your kneecap. You can talk and think about sex, but only after you're married, and then it's still a little sketchy. You can watch TV, but only the 700 Club and the Hallmark Channel and an occasional documentary. How many rules do you have on what it means to be a Christian? How complicated is your practical, everyday living out of Christianity? How complicated is it? You're like, well, I think it's pretty simple. Well, let me ask you this. When you look at another Christian and you see them struggling, how quickly do you move into judgment and go, oh, well, they were really Christians. That tells you how complicated your religion is. An overly complicated religion will keep you from living in the power of the gospel. If we just had to strip Christianity down to its core, make it the simple, pure, devotional, compassionate love with Jesus. If we just had to strip it down and say, what is Christianity? If we wanted to understand what it is, with as few encumbrances as possible, what is it? I, I, would, I might say, if I had to, the simplest way to say it, I might say, it's just daily companionship with Jesus. If, you, if, you, if you're going to make me spell it out a little bit more, I'd say this, it's daily companionship and love and power with Jesus leading me to an eternity of soul satisfaction with God. So I can make it a little more full if you'd like, but if I got to say this, the daily thing, daily companionship with Jesus, that's Christianity. And you're like, well, what about doctrine, Pastor Joe? I'm a doctrine freak, man. I love it. I'm starting a theological, we're going to walk through a systematic theology book with a kid this week. I love it. Can I also just make this point right now? Some of you are like, yes, we hate religion, right? Some of you want to wave that flag all the time. Here's what you have to do battle with if that's you. This entire section that Paul's talking about is about doctrine. His whole argument is some of you are believing things and beliefs and listening to false teachers that are teaching you bad things about Jesus. The whole thing's about doctrine. The entire thing is about what you're putting in your head and who you're choosing to follow and what you're choosing to believe. Those are doctrinal issues. That's your own personal systematic theology that he's talking about here. The entire thing is about doctrine. It doesn't mean that you don't think and you don't live right. It's absolutely all about what you believe and what about you think and thinking right so that your actions just naturally fall into place. That's your practical Christology, your practical theology. What do I really believe about Jesus? How does it change you at work? What do I believe about Christ? How does it impact what you say to your spouse? How, what do I believe about Christ? What do you do with your money? That's your practical theology. It's all about what you believe. There's a simplicity to it that doesn't mean you check your brain out. Don't receive the gospel in vain. Keep your walk with Christ rooted in a deep theology and then simple expressions of Christ's love and faith in him and his power. I like that. I wrote that one. That's me. I'm going to say it again. Don't receive the gospel in vain. Keep your walk with Christ rooted in a deep theology and simple expressions of Christ's love and faith and power. Why is Paul all worked up? Why is Pastor Joe all worked up about this? Look in chapter 11, verse 12. What I am doing, I will continue to do 
so that I may cut off opportunities from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. For such men are false prophets, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose ends will be according to their deeds. Another hindrance here for us is listening to these false teachers like we talked about. And Paul gets all worked up here because he is just desperate. He's desperate for their spiritual well-being. He said earlier that, put up with me because I'm jealous for you with this godly jealousy. Why is he all worked up here? He's desperate for them. Why? Because one, he understands that they are in danger of missing out on the fullness of Christ. Yes, you can believe in the gospel and die and go to heaven, but my gosh, how many of us are going to walk in little babies? We've been following Jesus. We trusted in Christ to save us 30 years ago, and just nothing has changed. There's so much richness of the Christian life that we're missing right now, that we're not experiencing on a daily basis. And Paul's like, you're in danger of missing out on that. I don't want you to. I want you to know the fullness of the power of the gospel in your life every day. So they're in danger of being missing out on the fullness of Jesus, and they're in danger of being led away in doctrine that results in life decisions because what you believe is what you're going to do. Are you jealous for anybody the way that Paul was jealous for these people? Is there somebody in your life and you're looking at them right now? Maybe it's a child, it's fine. It could be an adult child or a friend. And you're looking at them, you're like, man, I really don't want you to get, be enslaved to financial problems. I want you to, to see money and finances the right way. And I, I want you to be set free in this area. I really do. I don't want you to struggle in your closest friendships and in your marriage with people who don't share your Christian values. I don't want you to deny the power of the Christ to radically remake you in every way. Is there somebody in your life, and man, they just struggle with being that same person all the time, over and over and over again, and you just want to look at them and go, man, God can change you. You can walk in the the newness of Christ. He's recreating you. He's making you new every day. Somebody you look at, you say, I don't want you to lose hope when you suffer. When life crashes down around you, I don't want you to walk away. I don't want the weight of pain to destroy your theology. So here's what doesn't help. Here's how you're not going to do it. God helps those who help themselves. You have my permission to slap them. It's a holy slap, so it's okay. God won't let you go through more than you can handle. You can just walk away from that one. God can only do what you believe him for. Some of us have gotten that gut punch, haven't we? If you're rich or healthy or wealthy or whatever, it's a sign of God's blessings. We don't need empty platitudes and we don't need half-baked theology. Are you jealous for anybody in their soul walk with Jesus, man? Here's how it happens. Here's how you speak into them and how you help them experience the fullness of the power of the gospel. You've got to get into their lives and teach them things. There's no way around that. There is real, true truth that is understandable and knowable that God has revealed to us in Scripture, and you have to get into their lives and teach them things. That can look like a million different ways to do it, but you can't avoid it. There has to be some 
verbal expression of truth and where you're teaching them. Secondly, you have to live it out with that person daily. This is probably where we make the, the, in the West, we screw it up the most. We teach, we teach, we teach. We have an educational model in our culture, right? We have Sunday school and church. Everything became about education. We have an education director in our churches, you know? Education ministry. We've taught, we've taught, we've taught. We've read, we've read, we've read. You know, we've given away all these seminars and all that stuff, but then we leave. And you go to your home and you go to your walled off neighborhood and you go to your security gate system and we don't live Christianity with each other. And we hide. So I'm hearing all this stuff, but what does that look like when I don't like him anymore? When she's mean to me, right? When, when I lose my job. What does this all begin to look like at that point? And, and so we're just left with this vacuous storehouse library in our brains that doesn't have the power behind it because we don't see it applied. Teach them. Live it out with each other daily. Test it and recalibrate it. This, I love this one. I didn't get this one for, I'm 40 years old now, and I didn't get this one until I was early 40s. God's okay with me testing out ideas and then screwing it up and recalibrating and trying it again. Are you okay with that? Do you have enough grace, personal grace, where you can just go, man, I think this might be what God's saying here. I think this is how I might apply this text. I'm going to try it. I'm by faith, I'm going to step out in it. And then it just... That probably wasn't it, you know? God, I'm doing my best to walk in faith. Just show me I want to walk your ways. I'm going to try this one now. Does that make sense? Test it with people. Test your faith with people. Evaluate it. Recalibrate. Take another step. Fourth thing, pray and rely on the Holy Spirit, man. Who in your life you feel like you've prayed for, prayed for, prayed for, and you, and you just quit. You're done. You're tired of it. God's not doing anything. You're checking out. Do it again. Do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again. God's with you. He hears you. Your prayers matter. He's got a million things working in the background you'll never see to accomplish his will, and your prayers are are part of that. Pray and rely on the Holy Spirit. He's more powerful than your jerky, idiot son. He is. Can we just say amen? I mean, God's, the Holy Spirit's more powerful than your, your boss who wants to hurt you and abuse you. The Holy Spirit's more powerful than cancer. I mean, if we're not going to say, I mean, why do this? Pray, 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 and rely on the Holy Spirit. He is able. So how do I attack these things? I'm jealous for you. I'm jealous for our church family. I'm jealous for my child, my children. How do I get into your life and do this? I teach you. I walk it with you. We test it. We recalibrate. We pray, and we rely on the Holy Spirit. I need some of you in this room who are more seasoned believers, may not be older, just you're more seasoned believers, to really, really, really read these two chapters that we're going through, chapter 10 and 11, and really live this out with some people, man. Look at verse 30, chapter 11, verse 30. Paul says, If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. So if you're going to make me compare myself to something, I'm going to tell you what I'm really bad at. The God and the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, he who is blessed forever knows that I'm not lying. So he reveals something about himself that I don't think people knew. In Damascus, the ethnarch under Aratus the king was guarding the city of the Damascenes in order to seize me 
And I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall, and so I escaped his hands. So Paul, the paragon of faith, writer of two-thirds of the New Testament, the replacement apostle, if we could say, for Judas, got afraid and had his friends at night put him in a basket and lower him over the city wall so he wouldn't have to face the opposition. Does that make you not want to listen to Paul anymore? Would you buy his book? Did you go to a seminar? I need somebody, some seasoned Christian to read these two chapters, chapters 10 and chapter 11, and hear and connect with Paul's heart for these people. There is a room full of these kinds of people in here, and they're struggling with their minds, and they're struggling with their hearts, and they're struggling with their souls, and they don't know where to turn, and they need someone to come alongside them and say, man, I'm jealous for you. I have a godly jealousy for you, and I don't want to see you fail. I need somebody in this room to stand up with other believers in here and go to battle with them. Go to the mat for some of these people that are in here. Some of you need to be spiritual fathers and mothers. There are people in here, they don't have a Christian family. It's awesome. Where we live, not just geographically, but in history, you know there's people in this room, they don't come from Christian homes. Like God first century plucked them out of paganism and idolatry and saved them, not because they come from a Christian home, because they come from nothing, and they don't know how to live this Christian thing. They need somebody to step in and show them what that looks like. Those who are younger and trying to find their way, those who are coming from confusing spiritual backgrounds, the curse of the Reformation is, is that there are millions of ways to do this, and some of them are really bad. And some of us come out of that. And we need to see what is the right way that we follow and love Jesus. I need some people in here who are just going to be spiritual bulldogs for TSF. All of our faith would be a little bit more sincere and a little bit more pure if we would take these two chapters passionately. We would really go after the well-being and the well-grounded care of people in this room with each other. Some of you are like, well, I can't do that. I'm not any good at this. Let me explain to you what's at stake. For those of you who are a little more seasoned, the church is at stake. In belief and practice, what will the church look like for our grandchildren? Because they're sitting in this room right now. What will the American church look like if we don't show them what it looks like? If we don't gather them under our wings and live it with them, how will they ever know? The church is at stake. I'd say the second thing that's at stake might be the gospel power for lost people. Lost people need to know about a powerful God and Jesus that we make our, our lives revolve around. That's at stake. Our witness is at stake. Some of you are like, well, I just can't. I'm not any good at this. Second thing I would say to you is, yeah, welcome to the club. I, I, the, the person who creeps me out the most is probably the person who comes to me and says, hey, I got this figured out. You know, <laughs> I, I got it all figured out. Just give me some people to disciple. I'll take care of them. You know, that's the person who wigs me out the most. The person who comes to me and says, I've been doing this a long time. I've screwed it up more than I've gotten it right. But I'm willing to walk with some people. Man, let's do it. I'm in with that guy. I think Paul goes through, I, I say it this way. These basket experiences, 
We've had these before, like Paul. These basket experiences lower us so that God can lift us up so he can use us in power. They don't disqualify you from ministry. They're redeemable. Your basket experience is redeemable. So let's not let the gospel be received in vanity and emptiness and powerlessness. Let's give ourselves to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's go to battle for one another. You guys, bow your heads, please, and close your eyes. Pray a prayer like this. God, take my thoughts captive. I want to live in the fullness of the power of the gospel. But my thoughts are arguing against me. I've got some stuff rooted in my heart and in my head that are arguing against the power of the gospel. Now, there's somebody in the room, and that means you need to say, God, save me. My arguments can't stand in your presence. Save me. You're the only one that can. Forgive me of my sins. I believe in Christ. I don't get it. I believe it. I'm going to follow you. Save me. And then there's Christians. You just need to pray that prayer. Take my thoughts captive so I can live in the fullness of the power of the gospel every day. Some of you are stuck in comparing yourselves to other people. Don't compare yourself to others. God, pray. God, I want to be, be broken free, be set free of this bondage of comparing myself to others. I want to be secure in who I am in Christ. Qualified in who I am in you and what you've done in me, not in anything else. Some of you have overcomplicated Christianity. Pray a prayer like this. I just want to stay close to Jesus. I just want to stay close to you. This daily walk of companionship with you. I want to live with you every day. And then here's the last one. Some of you need to just be convicted about our church family. God, I want to step in and do battle with somebody. My, my life isn't perfect. I'm not perfect. I've had more basket experiences than anything else. But man, I need to do battle with some people. I need to step in for those who can't step up. I need to lift up those who are beaten down, who are confused. They don't know how to do this. Show me. I'll do it, God. Father, thank you for the gospel, for its power, that you are remaking us every day. God, I pray that we wouldn't receive it in vain. Thank you, Father, for these uh, truths, these powerful truths. God, let your spirit get it soaked down into the soil of our hearts, God. Set us free so we can walk in the daily, all-powerful, changing gospel that you've given us. In your name we pray. Amen.